Welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast, bringing you news and financial tips for doctors, dentists, teachers and lawyers. Hello, I'm Neil Whelan and welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast. I'm back with our Investments Director, Robert Vorger, this week to discuss the latest developments around Brexit following the votes in the House of Commons this week. With only a few weeks to go, discussions within Parliament and with the EU are still ongoing, with all the possibilities of a deal, no deal, or perhaps even no Brexit at all, still very much possibilities. As always, what we discuss are our opinions only, and the podcast generally is for information purposes only. So, if you're looking to make investments, it's best to talk to an advisor who can guide you through all the options and answer any questions you may have before you make that final decision. And with that, let's get on with the show. So, Rob, it's been another busy week in Parliament with Brexit negotiations and votes and all sorts. Uh, The two things that have been passed in inverted commas this week are two amendments. So, the first one was the Spellman Amendment and the Brady Amendment. They've been getting headlines, depending on who you listen to, they're either going to be a huge success or a massive failure. So let's start with the Caroline Spellman Amendment first, which is to do with putting a no-deal Brexit back in its box. Look, it's important to know neither of them are binding. The way the parliamentary system works is neither of them are binding. They don't override any legislation that's been passed. So given legislation has been passed that we leave on the 29th of March, the Caroline Spellman, uh, Jack Dromey Amendment um, is indicative of the mood of the House, but no more. Um, It did pass, not by that much, but it it was um, good that it passed. Uh, It says to the Prime Minister that actually, were we to be at a deadline, you know, 28th of March, and somehow this came in front of the House for a vote, actually we would vote to not leave on that day. So I think it's good that it's there. and I think it helps frame the discussion. Um, so, yeah, not much more to say about it other than it helped. And it is, and it, as you say, it is just um, Parliament flexing its muscles almost and saying we don't really like the idea of that. Well, Parliament was going to flex its muscles more on the Yvette Cooper, yeah. Nick Bowles Amendment. Um, and that, ironically, because members of the Labour Party either abstained or voted with the Conservatives, uh, didn't pass. I mean, that was Parliament flexing its muscles, and so was the Dominic Grieve one, which I don't think anyone thought would get through. But I think the Yvette Cooper one, I think there was some hope amongst um, a lot of people on the Labour side and certainly Remainers that, that might go through. And um, that would have led to legislation which could have overridden the Act, which means we're forced at the moment to leave on the 29th of March. And do you think that was voted down because it was almost too definite? It was taking away some of the ammunition that Theresa May might have in future negotiations? Well, I think, you know... I think it was voted down because there was... Now we're coming to sort of, you know, the rubbers meeting the road on on all of this. I think divisions within the Labour Party that haven't been exposed to date, we've only just seen how how divided the Conservative Party has been, I think the Labour Party divisions sort of came more to a head. The fact you had shadow cabinet members abstaining or voting against a three-line whip, it'd be interesting to see how Labour deals with it. But um, had those Labour members who normally vote with the Labour Party, had voted with the Labour Party, it would have passed last night. It would have been mm. it would have dramatically changed um, events. The other two amendments that passed, again, the Spellman one and then the Brady one you mentioned earlier. Um, I mean, the Brady one was, it, you know, it, it gave every Conservative a bit of a sort of cheer, you know, unity for 24 hours. But I think actually within about six minutes of the vote passing, Donald Tusk's office put out a statement saying, 
you know, there's no going back on the withdrawal agreement. And I know Barnier today has kind of reinforced that message. And for a whole variety of reasons, I am not expecting the European Union to materially move their position, certainly in terms of any legally binding changes mm-hmm. to the withdrawal agreement. So, you know, it, it was um, it was probably a good night for Theresa May. And perhaps one could say, given she's had so many bad nights of late, it was, I, I wished her well having we'll, a good we'll, night. We'll give her but that it, one. But it was short-lived. So the Brady Amendment was to keep the Theresa May deal as is, but take out the backstop and look for alternative arrangements. Yes. Um, Alternative arrangements weren't defined. Um, I have on good authority that the UK government has tried to think of what those alternative arrangements are, but literally they don't know anymore. I mean, they've come up with, is there technology solutions to the backstop? Do you move the border away? All those have been explored and and have all been, if you like, ruled out. Um, you know, I think some people last night were thinking, well, maybe there's a secret rabbit that's going to be pulled out of a hat. And everyone goes, oh, wow, look, this is uh, something that might work. I'm afraid my sources within the UK government tell me there is no rabbit. They're desperate for someone almost to sort of write in and say, hey, does this idea work? But they don't know. And that's why um, I think people will revisit some of those ideas that have already been thrown out. But I, I'm afraid I give it fairly short shrift. I just do not think the EU is going to be changing its position based on the way the UK Parliament voted last night. So, listener, if you do have any ideas, um, please send them in on a postcard and we will forward them on to Robert's friends in government. The other thing that cropped up this week was the Malthouse Compromise, which sounds like the worst Matt Damon action movie ever, but this is an idea that was mooted to try and bring Leavers and Remainers together. And again, it's get rid of the backstop come up with another as yet undefined plan but if that doesn't work use the two-year transition period that we would have had as part of a deal to prepare for no deal on world trade organization look the reality is, i think it's nicky morgan and jacob rees mogg uh, who are both opposite ends of the conservative spectrum on this really trying to be i think genuinely be helpful to the prime minister by saying look we'll try and come up with something that we can compromise on and to their credit they have tried to, but I think it's um, it's probably a bigger fudge than the Brady Amendment. I don't think it goes anywhere. I think I think we'll forget about that phrase sooner rather than later. But look, there was there is one point on this whole thing I would like to mention is you know, people are saying, well, you know, Parliament's made its decision now. It's up to the EU to change their mind and to kind of meet us halfway or meet us some way. I don't believe there is going to be any material change from the EU. And it's for a number of reasons, but one of which is, you know, the EU to date has said they're backing Ireland's position on the backstop. And you have to remember, in Ireland, we have a minority government whose policy of standing up to the UK on this backstop issue, uh, the Irish border, the Good Friday Agreement, has been very popular. So they're not about to change that policy. And the EU has been very supportive of or the 27, been very supportive of the Irish policy. If the 27 were in any way, shape, or the 26, were in any way, shape, or form to abandon Ireland on this issue, I think the repercussions across all the smaller nations in the EU would be catastrophic for the future of the European Union. So I don't see how France, Germany can be seen to be abandoning Ireland on this issue. So I just don't think, in the best will in the world, that 
there is any mood at all for the EU to change its position, you know, predominantly for that reason. Um, but also, they just don't need to. No. Um, I mean, there is, you know, I know that no deal will be bad for us all. I know that Parliament has said we won't vote for no deal, but it's not binding. But it does indicate that before the deadline, you know, Parliament will probably say we're not going to have a de- you know, no deal, we will have to have a deal. And the EU can just sit there. And yes, they'll be criticised in the red top papers in the UK and some of the broadsheets will attack them. And they'll go, you know what? Fine, but it's you guys who are leaving. Mm-hmm. So I just don't see where our leverage is over and above what Theresa May has already exhausted and to her credit done everything she possibly could to sort of, you know, get some compromise deal up there. I just don't see that is going to change. And so we do come back in two weeks' time, and I'll probably do another podcast in two weeks' time with you, um, to say that, you know, we've come back and there'll be lots of chess beating, but we're back to square one. And what are we going to do about it apart from revisit Theresa May's deal? Um, Now, I suspect... Uh, some people who supported it last night or the amendment won't support the fundamental underlying deal but actually as we get towards the deadline I think people who would who want us to leave and that's the first priority will begin to favour this deal more that said I do think where the big majority is in the house to get something through is some form of compromise with Labour um around a customs union of some sorts. Now, I know that rules out one of the big red lines for the Conservative Party, which is whether we can do separate free trade agreements. But I am certain that a deal that has a customs union as part of it will now see a fairly large following in the House of Commons. Um, And the indications from... um, from the EU are, because you're changing Theresa May's red lines, they can compromise on the uh, agreement and suddenly you don't need a backstop because, you know, trade policy is the same. It's goods and services can flow quite happily and it goes away. Um, Interesting enough, Ken Clark, you know, put forward that argument last night and um, and I, I think it is the logical conclusion if you don't back Theresa May's deal. So here's my question on the customs union versus a customs union. So obviously it's a whole new world now with Britain being the first country ever to leave the EU and the EU is built on having the customs union. I suppose my question is, if, as opposed to the rather than a customs union, which is a brand new thing, it's a whole new ball game, if you will, what are the possibilities there of, right, that's the EU... 27 deal there, we as a former partner would like this all new customs union with its own caveats that allow us to go elsewhere and trade, trade with you, trade with America, Australia, etc, etc and develop it that way Is that that blue sky thinking or is that a possibility? No, uh, there's no way they'll let us um, have all the benefits of the customs union and be able to go and trade elsewhere Um, because if we do deals that aren't aligned to the EU's trading policy, if we have, I know it's a well-used phrase, but the chlorinated chicken from the US, which I'm told will be, it's almost the first thing on any trade deal with the US, is they're adamant they want to get that principle established about exporting chlorinated chicken. Um, and I have to say, I say that with no bias. I don't know whether chlorinated chicken's good or bad for you. I don't care, really. Um, but it is a principle 
that I know the EU care about. Um, it just wouldn't work. So I, I fully accept, I'm sure we'll call it a customs union, and it will be different because we're not part of the EU mm-hmm. 27. We would have left, but we'll be in a customs union which happens to mirror and will have to continue to mirror all the, you know, dot the I's, cross the T's, everything about the customs union. And we will pay to play. We'll pay to yeah. be a member of it. Um, but with our biggest trading block of 500 million people, we will be able to have frictionless trade, which is um, one of Labour's red lines. It was originally one of the Conservative red lines, um, but it kind of, in the in the heat of the moment at some stage, it became, you know, as frictionless trade as possible. Mm. But we'll be going back to a system which has frictionless trade. And if you have that, you don't need an Irish backstop. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is, you, you know, th- this isn't complicated anymore. It's just a matter of will people compromise around a deal. And... Um, I still don't think there are enough people who will support Theresa May's deal, which got trashed, remember, two weeks ago. You know, if the exact same deal came up again, it would do better, but it won't get a majority, in my opinion. Unlikely to get a majority. I'm getting nodded at. (laughs) Unlikely to get a majority, in my opinion. But what I think is likely to get a majority is taking some of Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party's kind of red lines of the of the six my guess is you could take two of them on board and you could drop two of the conservative red lines and before you know it you've got a consensus built around something and i think parliament's view that we will have a deal rather than no deal kind of ultimately forces us in that camp i do also want to say it is difficult for Theresa May mm-hmm. because the you know i see on a lot of my twitter feeds a lot of the sort of the tory feeds in and there is no doubt the membership, the grassroots, are generally violently against her deal, let alone something that is more um, that, that takes on some of the characteristics of the Labour Party's six red lines. So it does have a fundamental sort of you know uh, impact on on the existing parties today because there are Labour people who who won't sign up to it. You you are getting a a large consensus around the middle, but there are large swathes of the Conservative Party that I suspect would never forgive her. And we don't know where the fallout would be uh, from that, but, you know, that will be the price that one will have to pay to get a deal through Parliament. She's almost got to accept that she's not going to be Prime Minister for much longer. Her task now is to get this over the line yeah. and, and and then just let the chips fall and see what happens next. But, yeah, well, but it won't be her at the yeah. head anymore. Uh, and also, because she's announced, she's not standing... You know, she won't be leader of the Conservative Party in the next election. If there's one next week, she might, but yeah. or, you know, a few months' time, she might, but she won't be. I actually think it ultimately makes it easier for her to make that catch twenty two decision that someone who wanted to stand as leader again, lead the party, can. So, you know, I, I think again, when when that decision, when she was pushed in that direction, perhaps um, that wasn't at the front of people's minds. But actually, I sit here today and say she can make that compromise ultimately because she won't be leading the party again. And then someone will come in who will have to sort of clean up the mess in the Conservative Party um, and take over and sort of, you know, in the new world of us having left, but, you know, the customs unions, I expect we are almost certainly we will do, but remaining in a customs union, which I think is likely, um, you know, and the fallout that that generates, they will then, you know have to rebuild it and it will take a little 
bit of time. The good news is we haven't got an election round the corner. So hopefully a new leader will come in, you know, maybe on the Tory side, maybe on both sides. And, um, you know, they will set out their store operating in this new world. Um, and then, you know, my guess is in five years' time, uh, for some reason, we've seen it in the past in the UK, it is very difficult to move away from a two-party system. So despite all the fears, Conservative Party, Labour Party will get over it. Yeah. And they'll be back, probably being the dominant party. Um, and we'll see what happens in Scotland, which is sort of one place where a third party has emerged that has hung around for a reasonable amount of time. Um, we'll see. What happens to Scotland is a whole different podcast. We, it is. Maybe not with we, me. We will, we, will, we, will, we will jump off that bridge when we get to it. So there's an interesting few days to go. Theresa May's going to clock up some more air miles going to Brussels and other European capitals. So you and I will regroup soon and decide what happens next. I think, I think it's Valentine's Day for us next time. <laughs> That'll be beautiful. <laughs> I'll look forward to it. <laughs> and that's our show for this week. As this story develops, we'll be back with Robert soon for his analysis of what's going on and what could happen next. If you don't want to miss that or any future episodes, you can subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. And if you'd like to keep up with what Wesleyan is doing more generally, you can find out all about us at wesleyan.co.uk, search for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and find us on Twitter at Wesleyan. We've also recently relaunched our Instagram at wesleyan underscore UK. But that's it for now. So, until next time, thanks for listening.